Welcome back to the Unionist Central Podcast. It's been a while. I've been at work completing and working on other creative and academic projects, but with those wrapped up, I'm ready to return. There are quite a few concepts in the lineup, in various stages of completion, that I intend to put out on the channel, but in the interim, due to the long gap since the last episode, I felt it would be ideal to release some content. Similar to the releasing of the Political Compass trilogy, where I was in between projects, this will serve as a way for me to more easily release content without the lengthy writing and editing process. Therefore, this episode is unscripted and less edited allowing for ease of production and a closer examination of my own beliefs. And finally, this episode was broken into three parts due to its length, and I only completed half the test. The rest will be saved for a future date. Okay, so without further ado, let's begin. The eight values test is made up of eight values, as you can see here, and four axes. So I'll go through the values first, and then we'll get into the axes. So you can see here, we have equality, markets, nation, globe, liberty, authority, tradition, and progress. Equality and markets fall under the economic axes. Nation and globe fall under the diplomatic axes. Liberty and authority fall under the civil axes. And tradition and pro progress fall under the societal axes. So you can see down here, it goes into it, explaining it. This has to do with how you want to set up your markets and your economy, basically whether you want to prioritize equality and making sure that there's an equal distribution of resources, or markets, meaning you're kind of having a more laissez-faire approach and letting the markets decide things and trying to not get involved too much so that goes along. You can see here lower taxes, privatization, deregulation, or as over here you see social programs, socialism include uh, progressive tax codes, stuff like that. So under the diplomatic axes, we have nation and globe. Nation is more what you'd see in nationalism, um, so essentially nationalism, globalism. Uh, it's very Territorial, it's about the nation expanding uh, its own strength. Here it categorizes it as territorial expansion. I think that that's a more traditional view of it, where in the modern sense, nationalism almost goes under a more isolationist worldview, where it's not necessarily about expansion, it's more about sectioning oneself off. But that's how this uh, quiz is going to approach it. We have globalism. Um, which is much more about a more global economy, more global diplomacy, more global everything, higher integration, and it's saying a, more of a world government. Again, that does contrast a more, I guess, modern view of it where globalism has to do with the mixing of economies and a larger scale economy where this is, again, taking um, a more traditional view of nationalism versus globalism. Or in the modern sense, I guess, would say isolationism versus globalism. Nationalism isn't... Re I mean, you have civic nationalism, but the nationalism of old, at least in, I guess, quote-unquote, Western uh, sense, that's not really something that's prevalent. So here we have the civil axes with liberty versus authority. You know, liberty is liberty, so it has to do with personal, individual decision-making without much interference and the protection of civil uh, liberties. Note that this refers to civil liberties, not economic liberties. So being 
pro-civil liberties doesn't necessarily mean you're going to fall under the markets brand. That's how you'd see certain maybe socially left-wing, um, economically right-wing values appear. That's why I like this. It, it's, I think, a bit better than the political compass. And there's even better versions of this, but they take much longer. It doesn't box it in with governmental and economic. It's giving each one its own space. And like I said, there's better versions of this, but they are very, very expensive and therefore has many more questions. So see here, authority um, is much more about, you know, pro-government surveillance, pro-government involvement, censorship, so essentially a government being somewhat of a big brother. I'm saying that with cynicism, of course, you know, that was used by Orwell, but in the very literal sense of being a big brother there to protect the little brother, because that's usually how it's seen. Essentially what I mean by that is that it tends to be presented as a big brother, but there can be some malevolence there where the big brother can be overly controlling and censorious, stuff like that. But essentially having a very strong watchdog or big brother to protect individuals rather than valuing individual self-determinism. Finally, we have tradition and progress under the societal thing. A uh, higher tradition, you know, is simply talking about it. It actually puts it quite well here. Um, though not always religious, they usually are. And this is what I'm talking about. And support the status quo or the status quo ante, essentially meaning the state of affairs or the previous state of affairs. So more about how things are, how things were. Progress is, of course, more about how things are going to be. It's more idealistic in these are our goals, what we want things to look like. And it's less about, you know, we've done these things, so we should continue to do these things. Um, this is a very interesting um, exchange. It's something I'm planning to delve into a bit uh, going forward, but basically how theology can stay stagnant, but society can move forward. So you have uh, what is originally, essentially, originally progressive views. If the individual's views don't progress with the movement, progressive views can become conservative, which can lead to certain confusion amongst people. Okay. Um, and then it just talks about, uh, you know, that this is a work in progress, especially the ideology. It'll give you an ideology at the end that's kind of just there. It's not a perfect system. And furthermore, the whole thing, in my opinion, I'd say, again, it's, I don't like the idea of boxing somebody into a political group or subset just based on these certain prompts. I think this does a better job at it. In, from memory, I think it does a better job at it than the political compass. But at the same time, I don't think it's a good approach to actually, like, whatever this says, I wouldn't formulate your own ideology and opinions around what it's telling you. It's more better to say, okay, I may want to look up some thinking along these lines, get kind of a feeling, a general feeling of where I am. And I also find the questions to be quite good for conversation starters. So for example, taking this with a friend or as we're doing here, taking it for a video or rather podcast. All right, here we go. Oppression by corporations is more of a concern than oppression by governments. This is of course difficult because I feel like it's definitely a fine line to walk where I think oppression can be very dangerous in all senses. Um, and of course, 
I would say as a general rule of thumb, governments have more capacity for oppression. So for example, a singular company can do, a corporation rather, can do lots of damage. You know, it can harm its employers, it can harm its customers, it can harm a lot of people, but it's limited in scope to only the people directly involved. And furthermore, if you have an effective government, um, oppression can be halted. A government, on the other hand, this is what I really want to get across before I say my opinion here, a government can be very dangerous when oppressing people because it's hard to reel it in. The government essentially has to establish its own ways, its own checks and balances to make sure it's aligned with the will of the people and it maintains its mandate to rule. And you'll often find that governments who don't have a mandate to rule try and enforce that through force and thus getting a mandate through force. So I'd say governments can be very dangerous. However, however, at the same time, you know, modern capitalistic society and just societies in general, historically, what we have seen is that governments are at their core beholden to the people which they serve, right? A government is elected, and even if it's not elected, even if it's authoritarian, it still can't rule without some people backing it. It needs the support of the many, um, and that makes it malleable. It means that an oppressive government can be fought back against everything like that. I think what's very dangerous is corporations and corrupt governments, because I think corrupt governments can start to enable um, oppressive corporations, and that's what I think we have a big issue with in modern society. It's less that governments are oppressive and overbearing, it's more that governments are corrupt and inefficient, and you see corporations seek to exploit that, and it becomes very, very dangerous. So I would say it's actually that I'd agree with this. Yeah, I'd agree with this. Oppression by corporations is more of a concern than oppression by governments. And I'm going to say strongly agree because I'm looking at this through a very American-centric point of view. In American society, I would suggest that the problem with our government is that it is too weak, it is too inefficient, um, it is bloated in certain parts, but at other times it's like bare thin, like you look at the IRS being very inefficient, ineffective. Um and that's because it's intentionally designed that way, and it's, it's become corrupt. Um, and I would argue that that is because we have allowed moneyed interests to get involved within the government, and that all comes from corporations. At the end of the day, the government's intentions and actions may stray from the public's interests, but it should generally align with the public's interests, because if it doesn't, then the government is soon to fail. A corporation, however, may at times align with the public's interests, like you see us with a lot of um, social justice values. It may at times align with public interests, but this is only because it itself benefits. So when the corporation's interests and the public's interests are opposed, then you know where the corporation is going to side, and that's how I think you get oppressive corporations that are manipulative and dangerous. It is necessary for the government to intervene in the economy to protect consumers. I would largely agree with this. In fact, I'd strongly agree with this. I think consumers as individuals are very, very susceptible to manipulation. So I think this gets a bit into protectionism, but that more has to do with domestic markets versus international markets. But in, you know, in the same sense, I think this does have to do with that, where a government has an obligation to protect its own people and it has an obligation to protect its own people from its own people. Um, I think that, you know, 
markets can be, and this is my general feeling, markets can be uh, a faulty way of measuring things. Why? Because, you know, if a company is presented, a company's goal is, it's somewhat cliche amongst the left, but a company's goal is to achieve profits, um, at least on a larger scale. And if a company is presented with a way that is misleading to comp uh, customers, um, that is manipulative, and will get the money that they're going to go for it. The only times they don't, and this is what people don't really understand, the reason that you're not being sold snake oil everywhere you go is because companies have made a risk assessment and essentially have determined that, okay, yes, I could make profit off this, but the risk of me getting caught uh, and the punishment for getting caught is makes it not worth it. However, what you see a lot in modern society, like we saw this with the... Um, 2008, uh, 2007, the Great Recession, um, companies make the assessment that actually, you know what, even if we get caught, this is still going to be worth it. So I would strongly agree that consumers need protection because they can easily be manipulated. The freer the markets, the freer the people. I would uh, strongly disagree with this. I can't remember who made this quote. I want to say Adam Smith, but that could be just blatantly wrong. Him or, um, oh, Friedman, I forget his name. But essentially, uh, no, I, I absolutely uh, disagree with this. Um, uh, the, I mean, I mean, what's to really say here? This is, I just explained why a free market, an absolute free market is, can be very manipulative. And I, more importantly, what I'd say is that the snowball effect, which is something I talk about a lot, is the essential idea that, um, Wealth that is accumulated only leads to more wealth. So when you're in a market, the larger companies that have more capital are going to be more powerful and it gets to a point where they'll be able to manipulate and harm customers. If you want to put it like this, you have two real options. Either you keep companies really fractured and fragmented to try and have them pit against each other and stuff like that, or you have a government monopoly. I, I see this stuff like, and I, this is a pretty unpopular opinion, I'd say generally, uh, like I, I look at like Amazon and I say, what about Amazon means that it needs to be a private company? I mean, it's just a delivery service. It's a system, I mean, at least the Amazon store, it's a marketplace, that's what it is. And I think marketplaces are a system where private companies should be able to fight it out. That's my basic model. I don't believe in full government ownership because I think that's it's very convoluted and it prevents individuals from creating new things. But I think there's just certain things, like certain industries that have to do with management and not the creation of a product, and that's just should be government run, in my opinion. Because you look at it, Amazon already owns an essential monopoly, and I see no reason why that would uh, need to be privately held. But that's a whole nother debate, so I'd say strongly disagree. It is better to maintain a balanced budget than to ensure welfare for all citizens. So I used to be uh, quite extreme on this, where I would basically say I, I don't care at all about a balanced budget. Um, and I've regressed a bit on that, where I do think there is some importance to a balanced budget, but I, 
I say that very hesitantly because I don't, I haven't regressed that much where I'm still, I still generally feel that debt and the deficit are in fact a good thing. That's another discussion. Uh, but the essential point there is that when a government isn't either in debt or in deficit, it means it has a surplus of money coming in that's not being used. Um, but I do feel that there is some importance to that just so that the government can maintain credibility so that, um, of course, people will buy bonds and other governments will trust that our government can pay off its loans and debt. But at the same time, I think welfare for all citizens is very important. What that welfare is is another discussion, but I would also argue that having uh, – this goes into the technology and automation sector – having less of the population – be in pure manual labor is in my eyes a good thing and it allows for greater innovation which in my opinion will cause a uh, greater economic value publicly funded research is more beneficial to the people than leaving it to the market i would say strongly agree there are certain situations where i might disagree i think that they're it, actually i'm going to leave it on agree there are certain situations when it comes to technology and stuff like that that I think it can be good to perhaps do subsidized or have – basically have companies try and fight it out. Um, I think that's dangerous because when you have corruption in that, it can get very bad. But I do think there's times when it's good like that. However, I think you just need to look at certain you know, health research. So I'll just take cancer as an example. I think cancer research would be far, far better – and this is just all disease research – Far, far better, far, far more efficient in every means if it was done collectively with one organization to say this is how we're going to do things in the sharing of research rather than individual organizations. We're all racing to get the cure first. So I'll leave it as agree, but just because I do think there are certain um, times when the government can – I, what I essentially say is that I think scientists themselves are the ones create. Actually, you know what? I'm going to go with strongly agree. Just because I think that privately funded research, leaving it up to the markets, can actually lead to inefficiencies as the goal is to just get it out as fast as possible. Whereas when you have individuals doing it, like for example, the way I like to think about it is private companies aren't the ones like doing this research. This is scientists and researchers who are doing the research. If you want to say that you motivate them through offering bonuses and different stuff like that, fine. But having companies do it, I just think it's more about the process itself, which I think that you can have a very efficient process for publicly funded research.